Welcome to episode 187 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the vault studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man with whom I am playing golf with today, mm-hmm. John Scott Sloat. Yeah, yeah. We're playing golf today. Yeah, yeah. The The Grace Lancer Classic. Today is Athletic Giving Day. Yeah. So we're, we're raising money. Our teams have gotten better yes, over the past they have. five to seven years. They have. And therefore, we're incurring more travel costs because they're going further in tournaments. Right. So we got we got to pay for those. Indeed. Indeed. And that's part of your job is to raise the money to make that happen. Yep. Yep. So. So very side note here. Are you – like is there anybody in the advancement team that oh, is – specifically dedicated more towards not like full time but has more activity towards raising money for the athletic department no so you all are jack of all trades basically it's yeah i mean I, naturally i'm a little bit more seminary focused than everybody else mm-hmm. uh so I get seminary for, for which I thank you. No, no, no problem. <laughs> so, like, I'll get some seminary specific agencies or foundations. Mm-hmm. So, um, in trust uh, the- uh, center for theological schools mm-hmm. in. Do you know where they're located? No, Delaware, Wilmington. I'm going to be honest. I, I'm, I'm confident they're not listening to the show. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't read the little I'm calling it a magazine that shows up in my mailbox every couple months, yeah. I think. I don't read that. So I have a couple of seminary-specific foundations that I connect with when I'm in, in their area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have – I I would say I – other than California people. So California people I don't touch. But I will go to seminary-specific events. So Okay. All right. But today, of course, we're raising money for Athletics. the athletic department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we're playing in a uh, scramble. A scramble, yes. Best ball, yes. And uh, you've constructed a a very enjoyable team, <laughs> but not a very good team. No, no. In terms of we'll golf, have golfing, we'll have a lot of fun. Well, but, it it kind of came down to it where it was like last week I learned that oh I have a team and I will be playing in it. Okay. Let's see what donors we can get. Mm-hmm. And everybody was either already in or busy yeah. or unavailable. And yeah. so I started going to I started narrowing that to alumni that one day might be donors. <laughs> Everybody's busy. Yeah. And so then I go like, who on Sunday can I absolutely <laughs> get to play golf with me? And Matt Harmon was top of that list. Yes. So I, I was the top of the bottom of the barrel. You were at the top of every one of my list. Okay, Let, let's be real here. No, 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 no. However, you kept working your way down the barrel, and you got to the bottom. And well, I was at the top of the bottom of the barrel. I I started with professional <laughs> relationships at yes, the top. I see. Um, then went to potential professional relationships, and then the personal relationships, okay. which is what we ended up with today. And is Nathan any good? No. At golf? Okay. No. He's comparable to us. I think so. Okay. I've never played with him. All right. But from what he tells me. And Brent is going to be comparable to us. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. It'll be a fun group. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, we're not going to look great. No. But, but we'll have fun. No. No. Though I appreciate the scramble. You know, I do too. I, I appreciate a good scramble. Yeah. If you would like to reach out to the show and tell us about your own golfing experiences – Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Or, sorry, X. It's X. now X. It's, it's X, yeah. We need, we need to do like 60 seconds on this. Okay. Like, I, I had seen that there was talk. We talked about this last week in the pod, right? Yep. That now we don't know. Do we still call it like Tweets? I, I tweeted? No, are you X'd? I don't know. You sh- – you, uh, I have no idea. I yeah, don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I'm very confused. And, and initially my app did not update. And so – this was yesterday, I think. I I opened the app for the first time for the day, and it launched, and it gives me the X logo or mm-hmm. whatever. And then I 
went back to my home screen and it had changed the the icon the icon to the uh, away from the bird to just the letter X. Yeah. And my life was changed. <laughs> Suddenly, um, X became this like wonderful, kind place where nobody says anything inflammatory or anything like that, right? Just magically overnight. Yeah. My, <laughs> from what I hear, it sounds like he wants to totally change the app entirely. Like the functions it serves, he wants it to become a money-sending service. Yes. He wants it to be a place where you can buy things, chat, yeah. send whatever. Yes. Um, go for it. You know, you know, it's either brilliant or it's going to fail spectacularly. Yeah, I, I think those are the those are the options. Yeah, and, and I think it's a good chance it does really well. Good. Um, good. There's a there's a Chinese version of this called I, I believe it's called uh, WeChat, mm-hmm. and it's it's a money maker in China. It's a crazy money maker. Hmm. And so if he's going for something similar for the Western world, yeah, it could really work well. We'll see if somebody could pull it off. Yeah, I, I I sure hope it works out for Elon Musk's sake. I mean, you know, he could really use it. He's been struggling a bit lately. Well, I, on Elon Musk, I am a little upset he's focusing on Twitter and not focusing on getting to Mars. You know, like I think in his attempts to get to Mars, I think there's going to be so many inventions and things that come to, to play that are just useful. Do you think it'll happen in your lifetime? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's way more complicated than most people probably realize. Yeah. Not that Elon Musk is ignorant to the challenges. Like I I don't think he's like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll just throw a bunch of money at this. Like I don't think he's that kind of person. No. But yeah, the logistics are crazy. Okay. I think if he hadn't bought Twitter, I think it was a real possibility. I think Twitter is going to keep him from getting there. Excuse me, X. (laughs) Whatever. I've been seeing this all over the internet. X. The company formerly known as Twitter. Yes. Yes. Like the artist formerly known as Prince. Okay. Yes. So you can find us on X at VNS Pod. Formerly you, known as Twitter. Yes. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can email the show, various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. Do we need to start saying meta, formerly known as Facebook? No. No. <laughs> uh, and YouTube, still known as YouTube, as far as I'm aware. As far as I'm aware. Okay. And of course, we would love for you to leave a five star rating and a review. All right, John, let's talk some sports. Although we are in the uh, end of summer doldrums, yep. uh, there's some off the – in one sense, off the field news. Your Mets. Sellers. Fire sale. Mm-hmm. A little bit. I think it's some older players with some expiring contracts mm-hmm. um, for prospects basically. Yeah. I, I, the only reason I knew that Scherzer had been dealt was somebody – tweeted that Scherzer becomes the first player in Major League Baseball history to be paid at least $15 million by three separate teams mm-hmm. in the same year. That's remarkable. Because yeah. he's still got getting $15 million from the Nationals. Mm-hmm. And the Mets, of course, are paying. Yep. And now the Rangers will be paying. That's right. So this makes the Bobby Bonilla contract look Great. I mean, yeah, a million a year for thirty years. Yeah, yeah. that looks. That sounds great. That sounds great at this point. I mean, so. Uh, and you were telling me before the show that uh, they're looking to get rid of Verlander as well. Potentially. <laughs> so there's some debate. Um, they want a king's ransom for him. Like they they want a ton of prospects. Right. And the only team I think that could pony up the amount of prospects would be the Dodgers. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But there is a sense that. They want to compete next year, and the way Verlander has pitched in the month of July has been really, really good. I think he's pitched like a 1.6 ERA or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they may just keep him around for next year okay, and let, let him pitch out, um, All right. pitch again next year. Uh, but he has a no-trade clause that he would have to waive. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so let's talk about your Jets. Okay. So still preseason camp? Yep. Um, probably the biggest news is Aaron Rodgers restructured his contract. Yeah, yeah. He was scheduled to make, I can't remember, but it saved the Jets $30 million, uh, which might be the most team-friendly thing Aaron Rodgers has ever done. Uh, and because of that, there's room to get uh, 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 the running back Cook 
Uh, Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook from Minnesota, yeah. or who was at Minnesota, who's a free agent. Okay. And who was on the sidelines on Saturday watching, watching there practice. There you go. There you go. So it's like the Jets are becoming uh, the NBA version of the Lakers or the NFL's version of the Lakers, of the, of the Lakers right? You get a high-profile guy. Yeah, yeah. And then you start building around him. Now, the Jets had pieces in place. We had a good def- we had defense. A, we had a top-five defense last year. Yeah. And, you know, they had uh, the Offensive Rookie of the Year in, in Garrett Wilson yep. uh, at wide receiver. Their offensive line is serviceable. When it's not injured, yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, I everything on paper says they're going to be good this year. Um, yeah, I think if we don't make the playoffs, I think it's a pretty terrible season. Yeah. It would be very disappointing if they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, it seems like getting into the playoffs is sort of the baseline for mm-hmm. a, yeah, it's an all right season. Yeah, I think so. Okay. And Now, you were, all, all of that changes with injuries of and course, things like that. Of course, yeah. Now, of course, you were uh, you were dying to talk about Women's World Cup. I haven't watched anything. I've kept up with like scores. Um, like I, I know there's a American female player who pushed another player on the field. I didn't see anything about this. Um, so I, but I know they've won one and they tied one. So I, I actually watched most of the match that they tied with the Netherlands, and it was a comeback, right? They were, they were down. down one nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was having this conversation with my son. I, I have, I feel conflicted watching them. Not that I'm a huge soccer fan or women's World Cup fan, mm-hmm. but I was telling I was telling my son, um, I want to root for them because I love my country. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that many of the women on that team love their country. Mm-hmm. You know, with some of their aggressive political stances and all that sort of stuff. It's like. Felt very conflicted. Yeah, not wanting the USA to lose necessarily, but not feeling great about rooting for them either. Hmm. So there, there's my hot take on the World Cup. World Cup, and it's in Australia and New Zealand, which we've been to. Yeah, yeah, our old stomping grounds. Yeah, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I will mention one college football note. Uh, I, I did see a ridiculous. Somebody tweeted, and again, this is it, it, college football has its own little world of Twitter where rumors start flying. Sure. And the big rumor over the weekend was that this week, um, the Big Ten in one week was going to add Florida State, Clemson, Oregon, and there was one other team out west from the Pac-12. I can't remember off the top of my head. And I'm like, there is no chance that that's happening. You're not adding four teams in one week from two different conferences, no less. Like it'd yeah. be one thing if they were all from one conference, but that's just not going to happen. Um, what happened with Colorado this week? They left the Pac-12 okay. to go to the Big 12. Okay. Which is actually where they origin- – well, not originated from, but were before. So they had been in the Big 12, left to go to the Pac-12. Now they're coming back to the Big 12. So – let me let me just throw out all my knowledge on the topic. Colorado has Dion, right? That's yeah. where Dion Sanders is at. Yes, that's a unique situation yeah. for sure. Yeah, he's bringing his own luggage. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Big Twelve is all offense, no defense. Yes. Um, what's your take on this situation? I, I've basically shared everything I know. <laughs> um, but what does this mean? What? What? Why? Why is like? Why is the Big 12 better than the Pac-12 or why? Well, I mean, the obvious answer is follow the money. Um, Is there more money in the Big 12? Yes. Okay. You see, what has happened is, so the Big 10 has got, Big 10 and SEC got aggressive in expanding. Uh Uh-huh. And that has left the ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12, the other three members of the Power Five Conference group. And... um, the ACC is is hanging on, you know. They're doing all right. They have some marquee schools. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the Big Twelve has done a pretty good job, actually, of trying to pivot. I mean, because they lost Texas and Oklahoma; those are two huge losses. Sure. But the big deal has been the Pac-12 has been completely incompetent. Like their media deal is pathetic compared to the other mm. conferences. 
And, you know, uh, so the Big Ten already poached USC and UCLA, and there's talk that they're going to snatch up Oregon and others. And so um, basically, I think what a team like Colorado has done, which is never really like is not historically Pac-12, has said, um, basically, we're going to leave the the ship that's sinking for a ship that's sinking a little more slowly. So, yes, that's uh, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, recording being interrupted by a text. It was one of our for some members saying yes. he's terrible at golf. Yes. Then he should fit right in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Join the club. Okay. At least it fits with the sports segment. All right. We got to move on. You we're going to have to report on our golfing next week. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If we remember. Uh, sure. All right. Our main topic for today is yet another article. We are in an article. Uh, I wasn't going to say rut, but groove. Yeah, I really like them when we talk I, about I articles. Don't, I don't – I mean, again, the only challenge with – the big challenge with articles is when the audience hasn't read the article, sure. you have to do some explaining, enough explaining to uh, help them understand what we're talking about. So uh, this article is uh, entitled, The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. And it's in the Atlantic, so I knew you'd love it. <laughs> and um, I was actually so-so on the article. Okay. And it's by Jake Meter, who you also like. I think I like Jake Meter. Yeah. 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 I, I only know of him on social media. I've not read anything from him. Though he's actually going to be part of the panel or part of the micro event I'm doing it. Oh, nice. At, at TGC. So maybe I'll get to meet him there. Yeah. You heard that right. Matt Harmon, micro event, TGC. Yeah. Emphasis on the micro. <laughs> Do people have to RSVP for it? How does that work? I don't know. I don't know how that works. I have people who take care of that. Alan Noble's a part of that too? Alan Noble feels like feels like a – Yeah, in my in, – in, in my tw- specific panel – Twitter-ish I, famous? Trevin Wax is on the same panel Oh, Trevin me. Wax is pretty well um, known. Yeah. So there's a few other guys. So. I mean not, a, not as big as you, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway – uh, I, I think the, I mean, right, the the really the subtitle of the article kind of captures the the main point, right? The defining problem driving people out of the church is just how American life works in the twenty first century. So, um, yeah, he's he's making the case, and and part of this is in response to uh, the book. The Great Dechurching, Who's Leaving, Why Are They Going, and What Will It Take to Bring Them Back, which releases this month. Uh, well, actually, next month, technically. Mm-hmm. I saw it on Amazon. So obviously you haven't read it, but uh, I think Ryan Burge has done some – you know, this is in that same vein as Ryan Burge with statistical analysis and yeah. tracking trends and that sort of thing. So, um, But uh, – so you were so-so on the article. I was, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so he opens by basically talking about growing up in Lincoln, Nebraska, the heartland, obviously, uh, and that nearly everyone I grew up with in my childhood church in Lincoln, Nebraska, is no longer Christian. Okay. Uh, Noting that uh, over the last 25 years, 40 million Americans have stopped attending church, which is, as he says, 12% of the population. Uh, That's the greatest – Concentrated change in church attendance in American history. Now, again, some of that is like, well, we're just – there's more people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but uh, I thought you'd like this part here. The change is also bad news for America as a whole. Participation in a religious community generally correlates with better health outcomes and longer life, higher financial generosity, and more stable families, all of which are desperately needed in a nation with rising rates of loneliness, mental illness, and alcohol and drug dependency. I do like that. I do. I do like points where church is good for human flourishing. Her, human flourishing, but I don't like it solely because of that. No, like, no, right. Right. Uh, yeah. Like. Like. I. I think it's a fair clarification. Pe- pe- people should go to church because the gospel is true. Right. Yes. Um, and yeah. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Right. right? 
Yes. Yeah. It's it's not merely a means to an end mm-hmm. of let's make a better place. Okay. So uh, they're they're talking about this book um, about dechurching. Uh, and he says, uh, the book suggests that the defining problem driving out most people who leave is – and again, he's acknowledging, yeah, there's you know concern about the over – quote, unquote, over – I can't say that. Politicization. Pol- politis- I said it wrong. Politicization of the – Too much politics. <laughs> yes, of the church. Uh, and you could argue that both right and left directions. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, he, he, he says contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life or as one ages, the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America, and because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that doesn't add up. So, do you agree with that? To an extent, okay. Mm-hmm. How would you qualify that? Um, I think it would be one thing if he had said this is, you know, sort sort of the head, um, sort of the headline, right? Um, Indicated that the reason, the main reason, people are leaving the church is this is this culture of workism. I, I don't think I'm there. I think that's a reason. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's the reason. Um, so I, I just want more nuance. I, I want to hear like, actually, this is a really nuanced and complicated conversation with like seven to ten factors, mm-hmm. all of them piling up uh, to do this. And then the the other piece, and I. I don't have data on this, but I've heard some statisticians push back on this idea that the church is dwindling in numbers. Um, so I, I've heard we we had a scholar on campus. Oh goodness, uh, it had been this past fall, and he he did a presentation, and he was he was saying like actually within a few percentage points, the church is roughly you know if you add some factors like small group attendance, uh, a few of these other factors, mm-hmm. the core of the church is virtually remain the same. And you're losing a bit on the margins, yeah. but the core of it's remaining the same. Okay. So I I think there's part of me that goes, um, I don't know if saying that there's a decline in the church overall is a, a central argument, if, if, if that's 100% there. So you would, you would dispute the Forty million Americans have stopped attending church in the past twenty-five years. No, I don't think I would dispute that. I think I would dispute uh, whether those people were core committed members of a church. Okay. Uh, yeah, though in fairness, I don't think Meter saying that they were either. I don't think he is either. I, I, and and I, I probably have more agreement with him than disagreement. I think my disagreements nuance and mm-hmm. uh, emphasis or okay. anything. Okay. Um, so, I mean, part of the argument he makes here is – and he gives a few different scenarios. Again, these are in one sense hypothetical, but they're general enough that you're like, well, that's certainly – you know, you could find someone who fits that category, mm-hmm. right? So the, uh, the woman who was heavily involved in campus ministry in college sure. gets plugged into a church after uh, graduation – Meets and marries a man who's less committed to the church than she is. They have kids. It gets complicated to get there on time, and just uh, after a while, it's in their minds. It takes too much effort, mm-hmm. and the Sunday morning is the only perceived like downtime where you can perhaps, maybe, hopefully, sleep in, have a slow morning. Sure, and so you end up choosing that over the effort required to. And I think part of his point in, in giving those scenarios is that the way that life in America tends to work, especially for those age brackets, mm-hmm. uh, is counter to the kinds of values and uh, yeah values that the the church should pro- should be prioritizing biblically, community and uh, mutual dependence and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's a fair assessment? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do. I 
I, you know, it's funny. I talk to I talk to a lot of people. A lot of successful people, mm-hmm. mostly in their 60s. <laughs> and one of the refrains that I regularly hear is just like millennials, which, you know, I think that becomes a punching bag for anything younger than than they are, right? Right. Uh, but, which, but they might mean actually in reality Gen Zers by this correct. point. Correct. Yes. Correct. Um, but I hear that uh, millennials – Concerned about work-life balance, only want only wanting to work forty hours a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I was when I was coming up, you worked seventy hours a week and you didn't complain and you got promoted that way. Yep. You know, yep. Um, and I don't I don't think they're wrong. Um, I, I I think that's probably true. That 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 was a part of working culture through the eighties yes. and nineties, mm-hmm. and even into the early two thousands. Yep. Um, However, we do have a a, a system uh, – not a system, a conversation about work-life balance that I don't think was present in the 80s and 90s as much as far For as sure. I'm aware. For sure. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I wonder how that plays into this conversation because you know, I, I, think, I think millennials is now the largest generation in, in the United States right now. It could be. I'm not sure. Um, and so most of them are in the workforce at this point. I think all of them, in fact, are in the workforce at this point. So if they want to be, if they want to be, yeah. And so, how, how does how does that all play together? How does that all factor together with this culture of workism? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. Um, I, I think it's ironic that if you actually look back, um, like in the fifties and sixties, when the when people who were looking towards the future, like like you know, this is a silly example, but the Jetsons. Right, the cartoon yeah. The Jetsons, right? The, the sort of idea was we're going to get so advanced technologically that we're actually going to work less mm-hmm. and have more leisure time. Yeah. We're going to work – you know, what, what now takes us 40 to 50 hours a week will only take us like 20 to 25 hours a week. And we'll have all this leisure time to enjoy. And of course, that was breathtakingly naive in terms <laughs> of understanding human nature. Sure. It does get some things right though. What what used to take us, you know, worth five hours of work now takes us one. You know, you know that sure. that piece is true. We've just backfilled. Exactly. Well, it, it was naive to think that employers were going to be like, yeah. oh, we're just content with this same level of output, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, as opposed to thinking, well, now you can basically double your output in the same forty to fifty hour week, mm-hmm. and so now that's what we expect. Yeah. It was naive to think that employers would just be like, oh, yeah, we'll just keep producing the same level of content or product and just have you work 20, 25 hours a week. That's you know breathtakingly naive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think part of his argument here in this, uh, in this article though is I, I do think that he's on to at least one piece of it. Um, you know, he – one of his quotes here, the problem in front of us is not that we have a healthy, sustainable society that doesn't have room for church. The problem is that many Americans have adopted a way of life that has left us lonely, anxious, and uncertain of how to live in community with other people. I think that's 100 percent right. Yes. 100 percent right. Um, and I don't know that it has anything to do or as much to do with work as he points to. That might be fair. Yeah, I think that might be fair. But then he follows that up with, uh, the tragedy of American churches is that, they, is that they have been so caught up in this same world that we now find they have nothing to offer those suffering people that can't be more easily found somewhere else. American churches have too often been content to function as a kind of vaguely spiritual NGO, non-government organization. I think that's a great line, by the way. I, and, I really an organization that. of detached individuals who meet together for religious services that inspire them provide practical life advice, or offer a positive emotional experience. I think that's right. One hundred percent. You know, I, I've had the pleasure, of course, uh, to talk to a few megachurch pastors um, in, the, in the past – since the pandemic. And, and m- most of them have, have lost 20 percent of their church um, in the midst of the pandemic. And I, and I think it's, it goes back to this reason. They're a spiritual NGO. Or maybe an NCO, um, non-church organization. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, yes. 
But and part of that is the consumer mentality, yeah, that is deeply embedded in the American psyche. Mm-hmm. The what's in it for me, and if I'm not getting everything I want out of this, I just move on to somewhere else or just stop going altogether. Yeah. And side note, th- these realities are also one of the many reasons why I think it's unwise for churches to continue to live stream services now that. COVID has passed and we're mm-hmm. well past that. Now, I do like how our church does it. We do live stream, but you have to you have to reach out to one of our pastors mm-hmm. to get the private link. So it's not a matter of convenience of, hey, oh, we just couldn't get out the door. Oh, you know what? Man, it's been a rough weekend. Let's just sort of lay in our pajamas and just have a – like there's, there's none of that. Yeah. It's yeah. a – well, you're sick. You're legitimately sick, or maybe you're traveling and don't have a good option there. Like you know, there are things like that. So, all that to say, that is a consumer mentality. I think. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. But uh, I think this article um, is on to something in in that it's related to the larger move from. You know, a hundred years ago, our culture had a broadly Judeo-Christian framework slash worldview, mm-hmm. broadly speaking. That's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. That the sort of default sort of worldview for our our American culture was the God of the Bible. That's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is connected with that, is that that when you've got a structure of life, a pace of life, a pro- the values of our culture that so push against um, what a biblical picture of life and community actually looks like, that either churches just stay away from that and don't offer it or don't promote it mm-hmm. in the interest of hoping that they can just you know keep people in, you know, more or less kind of the seeker sensitive like. Gospel light kind of, you know, don't make any strong challenges to follow Jesus and Mm -hmm. discipleship. Just be grateful they darkened the door Mm -hmm. and throw in a gospel presentation and, you know, five helpful tips for, you know, being a good coworker this week, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, as opposed to the more radical, you know, proclamation of the gospel, call for you know, total commitment of one's life to Jesus in discipleship and go that route. And so um, in that sense, I think he's he's certainly on to something. Um, I mean, at our church right now, we just started a little mini topical series between expositional series on community. Mm-hmm. And that's all that's tied to a sort of relaunching of what we've called life groups. Now are going to be called community groups. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I feel like I, I, I do wonder how that strikes certain people in the congregation because not everybody in our church is in a life group or community group at this point. There are plenty of people, I think, in our church who have attended for a while, mm-hmm. faithfully even, regular Sunday attenders. Never jumped into a life group. Yeah. And I think part of it is connected with some of these dynamics. Mm-hmm. One of one is the time because oh, you're, yeah. you're committing to another um, another quote-unquote event at some point in the week, a couple of hours. Yep. And, you know, and I don't want to minimize the challenges, especially that young, that young families have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there there's a there's a young family in our church that that Kate and I regularly see. They wander in to church probably five minutes late every week. They got like I think they have three kids now, but they are so consistent and faithful. Love the church and prioritize being there. And we've even told them like we're so encouraged by the efforts you make. To get your family to church with three small kids, we know it's not easy. We know you live relatively busy lives, and the temptation would be there to just not put in the effort because mm-hmm. three small kids not easy to get to church, but they do it. 
because they love Jesus, they know they need community, and they're committed to their local church. Yeah. And so um, I'm just curious how that how, how this emphasis on community might strike those in our congregation even who are regular attenders, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I – I, I do think a, a number of these issues and, – and one of the points um, that he pulls from the D Church book, I believe, is that uh, the church asks too little mm-hmm. of congregants. And I think that's 100 percent true. Yes. Um, asking them to be in membership, asking them to serve, asking them to be involved more mm-hmm. uh, and be committed to certain things and have some skin in the game and some ownership, yep. I, I think is a great way forward. A hundred percent. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Um it, it flips the script of yep. people that are uh, uh, of what you're committing to, um, mm-hmm. how you view the service. Even you yep. know, yep. Uh, is this something you receive or is this something that you participate in? You right. know, uh, things like that. Uh, so I, I 100% thought that was true, and I think a lot of that goes back to the, a lot of the problems with that go back to that seeker-sensitive sort of movement, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I was talking to somebody that goes to a that that went to a seeker-sensitive church, and they were like. Everything is structured around get in and get out. Yeah. Get in and get out. Efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, and get the offering might, might be the other piece. But um, <laughs> get in and get out. And uh, they went to this church for three or four months and just said, we don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- this is me advocating for smaller yeah. churches. And Yep. And, and I'll just clarify, I don't think you are biblically commanded as a Christian to be in a small group. Let mm-hmm. me just clarify that. I don't, that's not a biblical commandment. You're, I would say you're biblically commanded to be in relationship with other Christians. Yes. And I would say that, that in about 95% of situations is, absolutely requires more than just, I attend Sunday service. Yeah. It does. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, I, I just don't know how you. And you know, back back to the line with the spiritual NGO, mm-hmm. um, that American life is set up in this way to uh, not uh, promote this Christian community. Yep, uh, it is going to take weekly, at least maybe daily, the pushing back uh, against some of those things, um, and it's going to be you're going to be tired, <laughs> you're going to be yeah. worn out. It's going to be hard. You're not going to want to do it. Yep. Um, but, but doing that in the long term, sure. you know, you know, decades and, will benefit you. And I would say that there's also a recognition of season of life mm-hmm. and capacities where your involvement in Christian community probably looks a little bit different if you're a young family with five kids yep. than it does if you're an empty nest couple. Mm-hmm. I mean, realistically – it's probably going to look a little bit different in terms of what you're a part of and what you, how you serve and those kinds of things. Yep. So I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood on the on the on that front, but um, yeah, I, I, I just I, I think um, too often I think we are content with nominal Christianity mm-hmm. that just sort of. We're glad they show up regularly. Lowest common denominator yeah. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and and feel sheepish about challenging professed believers. Hey, this this is your spiritual family. Yeah. You should be involved in this and not just for what you get out of it, but for how you can be a blessing to others. So anyway, I, I think yeah. I think we I think we're largely on the same page here. I he did have some some language in here that I'm I'm sure that, I don't know if you caught this. I have it in one of the quotes here, and then we'll move on. Um, it is – where is it? Oh, he's talking about the pacifist commune that he visited. Yeah, it was weird. I didn't like the, that. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, that's not going to help your case. Um, but um, here it is. You tell me You tell me what's wrong with this statement. Oh, boy. This feels like a test. M- Mr. Mr. History Guy. What is more needed – in our time, or sorry, rephrase that. What is more needed in our time than a community marked by sincere love, sharing what they have from each according to their ability and to each according to their need, eating together regularly, generously serving neighbors, and living lives of quiet virtue and prayer? 
Well, from your emphasis, it sounds like each according to their ability and each according to their needs. Do you know where that comes from? Uh, is that Carl? That is Carl. Okay. That is Carl, Carl Marx, Tommy's okay. Manifesto. Interesting. Yeah. Another way that I'm like, you're not going to – you're – surely he knows that's where – like he he's a smart enough man that he has to know that where the origins of that oh, yeah. expression. Now, have you read The Communist? I have Manifesto? not. Okay. I have not. Okay, but I have watched the Seinfeld episode where Kramer brings in the Dominicans to roll the crepes, and yeah. that goes south. And then they get interested in communist ideology. Yeah. <laughs> and at first, Kramer is like, oh, "Okay, you know, this isn't too bad," and makes the comment of, "I didn't know this was such a sore subject." Like this is like late eighties, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is this when he's working at Bloomingdale's as Santa? Yes. Yes. With uh. Mickey. Yes, and Mickey yells at him. Where you been for the last twenty years? You know, yeah, for sure. And Elaine's dating the communist. Yes, and wears olive drab colored clothing. Yes, and- Neil isn't is Neil or Neil? Ned? Neil, Neil yeah. or Ned? I can't remember. It's one of those two. I think it's Ned. Anyway, um, and then, <laughs> and then she gets. She gets them blacklisted from the. Was it the? It was the Chinese. Viet, was it? Viet, I thought it was Vietnam. It was Hop Sung's. Okay, yeah. Yes. Whatever that place was. Yes. Gets blacklisted from that place. You won the list. <laughs> anyway. All right. It is time well, to- Well, that took an odd turn. It did take an odd turn. My, my mind works strangely sometimes. All right. Time now for This Day in Sports History. This Day in Sports History, July 25th. Nope. nope. That's wrong. That's a, that's August 1st. August 1st. August 1st. I did update. The, the, the information is correct. Okay. The, the date is incorrect at okay. the top there. Yes. That was last week. Um, yeah, August 1st. It's here. School's right around the corner, man. Yeah, it's here. I know uh, teachers, uh, uh, elementary, high school teachers go back. Well, next week is in service for my yeah. wife. So. Yeah, and I want to say the teachers in my small group start getting things going mm-hmm. this week. Yep, they're always a week ahead of us here at Grace in terms of like when they, they're in service is like the week before August. Yeah, they also go longer than we do. We're done earlier. Yeah. Anyway, uh, 1976, August 1st, uh, Seattle Seahawks. Take the field for the first time in a preseason game against the San Francisco 49ers at the newly constructed Kingdome. That's a good stadium. No longer in existence, yes. No. Nope. But it was Mariners and Seahawks, right? Yes. They both played there. And now they both – no, there's two separate stadiums. That's right. I don't think they're – Oakland? Well, there's no Oakland football team anymore. But they're, they're the last holdout of like yeah. the split stadium, right? Now everybody mm-hmm. has their own. Yeah. I can't think of one that's a combo. Yeah, the Seahawks and the Mariners, though, their, their stadiums are like a couple blocks apart, basically. They're right next to each other. Yeah, they're that, that right, happens right a lot. Al- right along the water. It's really really quite nice there. Yeah, I mean, they do that a lot in uh, in cities. I think for the parking, like yes. Cleveland's that way. Yep. Um, yeah, you can double up on the parking because almost never are you going to have them having games at the same time. So. Yeah, uh, Pittsburgh's that way. Mm-hmm. And New York is not that way. Uh, 1993. England uh, wins the Women's Cricket World Cup for the first time since the inaugural event in 1973 with a 67-run victory over New Zealand at Lourdes. Okay. Okay. Uh, 94, Baltimore shortstop Cal Ripken Jr. I like Cal Ripken Jr. uh, Becomes only the second player after Lou Gehrig to appear in 2,000 consecutive MLB games in a 1-0 Win against the Twins. Yeah. When you stop to do the math on that, it is remarkable. Yep. It's very remarkable. 162 games in a regular season. So to get to 2000, that's basically 15 years uh, of not missing a game. Maybe like 13 years. That's incredible. Uh, 1996, uh, American athlete Michael Johnson – uh, wins the 200 meter at the Atlanta Olympics in a world record 19.32 seconds to become the first man to complete the 200-400 double. Yeah, he was before like before Usain Bolt. Like he was the most dominant. He like, was the he, guy. He was the guy. He just kind of came not out of nowhere, but like that Olympics, he was crushing records. Um, that's the first Olympics I remember. You was were the, what, like six, seven, eight? I was eight. Okay. Um, what, well, no, it would have been in July. I would have been eight. Okay. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, 2014 Indiana Pacers NBA superstar Paul George suffers a gruesome compound fracture of his lower right leg in a Team USA scrimmage. I remember that. I remember hearing about it or like on, on Twitter probably. And then I, I never watched it. Uh, I, I can't – I will not go out of my way to watch gruesome injuries like yeah. that. Yeah. Willis McGahee. I remember because I was watching that game. You were game, watching obviously. that game, I yeah. imagine. Yeah. Though, yeah. I mean, honestly, maybe the the worst I ever saw was probably the Joe Theismann one in the Super Bowl. Uh, with LT? Yeah. Uh, no, well, I wasn't in the Super Bowl. No, he got hurt. I think he got hurt in the Super Bowl. Basically, the one where – no, he got hurt on – was it a Monday night? Anyway. It was against the Giants. Basically, like he created a new joint in his leg between uh, his knee and his ankle. It was yeah, pretty gruesome. Not good. All right, who do you like out of that list, John? Um, my goodness, uh, probably Cal Ripken Jr. Yeah. gives me the warm fuzzies. Okay, we can do that. One thing you liked. All right. Uh, actually, I forgot to think of one. Why don't you go first, and I'll think of one <laughs> while uh, while while you do yours. Well, I, think, I was initially going to say what what you have down here. Well, yeah, I mean, I think um, the obvious one for me was uh, celebrating my fiftieth birthday this past week. Nice. So had a nice little celebration. Now, when you when you flip the decade like that, um, did you get reflective? I do. At all? I do get a little re- reflective in that. Yeah, like sappy, sad, reflective, or like grateful, joyous reflection, or like a combo. Usually a combo of both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is that every birthday, or is that decade altering birthdays? Um, I think it's there for every birthday, but typically to a much lesser degree. When, when you get the odometer effect of mm-hmm. the decade. Um, I mean, it's a natural place to start reflecting on where you're at in life. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, my wife did a great job. Um, we had dinner with the family. Um, and, uh, of course, our cave dweller, Ben from Warsaw now, mm-hmm. British Ben. Uh, Jake's girlfriend, Autumn, joined us as well. Played the guitar for you. Uh, yes. Well, and then um, the Tribbets also mm-hmm. joined us. And then you were a uh, a, a also a participant for um, after the after dinner for yeah. dessert. That's as soon as we could get there. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. So a lot of fun. My wife put together a a, a book of of different notes and things that people had written. So yeah, very sobering. Very encouraging. Just it's crazy to be fifty. Yeah, I just remember when I, you know, when you're much younger, fifty seems like that's really old. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is, but not really. That's half a century. It is. Yeah, and the number you remember this. The number of people like here's to fifty more. I'm like I don't think I got fifty more in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I want to live fifty more yeah. years. I figure by the time you get to like your 80s, you're like, I just want to be a Jesus. Yeah. Like either Jesus needs to come back or I need to go to him. Yeah. But yeah. So very grateful. Um, some kind words said. And so, yeah, that was my one thing I liked. Okay. That was going to be my one thing was going to your 50th celebration. Yeah. Um, however, I'll throw in one side little thing sure. that, that I did. Uh, we have had a severe spider problem. <laughs> At our house? I think our listeners do enjoy when you share about your battles against nature, whether they are related to grass or wildlife. So <laughs> we, so the house is about 25 years old, yep. the, this new house we got. And in the basement, spiders everywhere. I mean, I mean, just all over the place. Um, and I imagine that is not something that your wife enjoys. No, no. I get called at least twice a week to kill a spider. Around the house. Okay. So – but while you're at the house. Yes. Not like from work. Come home from work and kill it. No. Okay. Because um, you you, you live like 55 50, minutes. 50 minutes. Yeah. Takes away, about – Yeah. Um, so uh, I – we're trying something new. Something called Pesty. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. Basically, it's professional grade bug spray uh, okay. for, for your house that you um, order online. They send you a little sprayer. And 
you put the concentrate in, you fill up the bag with water, you shake it, and they give you a little spray, and you go around the outside of your house. The number of spiders that were around the outside of my house was was ridiculous. Hmm. So you could see them all around the outside. And oh, yeah. And clearly they were beginning to – they've they infiltrated worked, the inside. They yeah. worked their way in, yeah. They're in our bathroom. They're in our bedroom. They're in our basement. Those are the places we see them the most. Okay. They're everywhere, everywhere. And does that – Cause some sleepless nights on the part of your wife? No, I don't think I don't think the spiders cause sleepless nights. Okay, there are other things that cause sleepless <laughs> nights, not the spiders. Yes, I'm aware of one. Um, all right, so that's called pesty. Pesty. Okay, and it was it was cheaper than calling Terminex. You know, yeah. there those companies are just so expensive. Yes, you ever had them just show up to your door? Yes, yes. I like to be a nice guy, okay? But after saying no, I'm not interested about three times Mm -hmm. in the sales pitch, it gets annoying. Yeah. You clearly have a script you're you're going through. Yes, I Um, get it. And you you just work through your, oh, if they say this response, here's my angle. And then if they say this response, the answer is no. I don't want your services. I agree. You're right. I probably have pests or I get window people. I agree. We should we should replace our windows. I don't have 20 grand just sitting around to yeah. do that right now. Yeah. And no matter what kind of deal with, with financing you're going to offer, I'm sorry. Just not doing it. Thanks and I, I'll probably shop around yeah. and I don't trust people that come to my door to sell 100%. things. 100%. 100%. I trust the internet more than I trust you. <laughs> That's saying something. Um, yes. But yes, Pesty, they tailor it to your region of the country. So okay. wherever you're at, your zip code, they have a different Special form. little cocktail brew for, yep. for suburban Fort Wayne. Yep, and it takes 20 minutes to put down. It's okay. nice and easy. Okay. We have talked our upcoming golf outing, which by the time you listen to this will be, will be in the past. We've talked Mets. We've talked Jets. We've talked Women's World Cup. We've talked the misunderstood reason why millions of Americans stop going to church. We have talked Cal Ripken. We have talked pest control. And we have talked my 50th birthday celebration. So I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later.